0: Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Zoom fatigue, like life as it was normal felt like that was so far away. But I also recognize that the changeability of what the last two years has done in our lives is it's made the future quite intangible as well. Because how do you plan for the future when most of us had plans for the future that fell through, got rearranged, got postponed, got refunded. So I felt like I was in this moment where the past felt a million miles away. The future was just vague and nebulous and didn't want to rely too much on that because who knows when it was going to become a reality. And so I, I lived with a real hyper-awareness of of the immediate and I think most of us to some extent did that you know case numbers daily numbers what was going on when are we going to get out of this and and like what I like in some ways that was good you know to be mindful of where we are to be present in the moment all of those things are great but what I realized it did in terms of you know the a follow-on effect with my of sense of spirituality, my relationship with God, is I realise that as followers of Jesus, we are never meant to live divorced from the past or the future because we are living in a continuum of God's story that began in the beginning long before our beginning, although we do have a beginning, and it will go on to completion long after our end as well. And we find ourselves living in the grand scope of God's story. And we're not meant to just live with this hyper-awareness of the immediate, like everything I feel, think and sense and experience right now is all there is. That's not how followers of Jesus are meant to live. We're meant to live with an awareness of what is in the moment in the context of the grand story of God. And I realised that I needed to like, you know, kind of call myself back to some of those things in order to just live well and to live healthy within myself and recognise that. What God is doing in my life, what God is always doing in my life, what God is doing in your life, what God is always doing in our lives, is part of his plan to take us on into maturity and so last week, if you were here in the morning service we we really um, had a look and did a lectio on James chapter one and last last week in the evening, I I pulled out these other verses too um, from 2 Corinthians and from Ephesians 4 where Paul is writing in these two passages and he's writing about what, you know, what is life, what is the spiritual life, what is discipleship all about. And essentially our lives, our spiritual lives, all of life is to carry us on into maturity to call us forth into wholeness, that we might become Christ-like in every way, that we might bear the image of Christ to the world, that we would become whole and not tossed to and fro with everything that comes but be grounded in, the, in God and in his spirit and to live our lives well as, as a light to the world, that this is part of what God is always doing in us, in our individual stories is calling us forth into maturity. And that passage in James that we looked at in the morning talks about let patience finish her work in you so that you might become mature and complete. Let patience finish her work in us. Like that's a, a, a beautiful and a challenging thing, especially when I, in the moment, in the individual moment of lockdown, did not feel like being very patient or letting patience have her way with me. <laughs> like I, and yet the, the lure and the woo of God in our lives is always to take us on towards maturity, towards fullness of love, towards an experience of loving one another with the self-giving love of God and being loved by God, being the beloved, being so complete and assured in our in God's love for us. And so this movement, this idea of growing into maturity, this path of discipleship, this is not something that we do by ourselves, and nor is it something that God just does by himself. It's like a partnership and a dance between us and God. It is always like a movement where God is at work in our lives and we are responsive and the lovely word obedient where we say yes to God's work in our lives or also say no and be stubborn like the whole thing's a dance right it's not I don't know about you but I am not always yes and obedient sometimes I'm stubborn resistant thick-headed slow to realize what God is trying to do in me no thank you Lord I don't want to love like And and God does not withdraw from me when I'm like that. God actually works with that to bring me forth into maturity and completion because he has a grand kind of plan for my life that goes beyond my immediate yes or my immediate no. That's the grace of God that carries us forth. And so it's this movement and this dance we do with God as we grow. We can call it discipleship, we can call it obedience, we can call it following. But whatever it is, it's this kind of interplay between God's actions and our responses, that God is always moving in us. And I came across this quote from Paula Darcy a few years ago where she was, it was in a talk, I think. You know, I don't know like if you're like me, but every now and then I'll, I'll come across something and it's like it's like a piece of sand that gets under your fingernail. You know that, like, and it just, you're irritated by it and it won't go away. And sometimes even once you get the piece of sand out, you still think it's there. You know that? I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird. Um, Sometimes I have quotes that do that in me. And whenever I sense that, I always feel like it's God at work in me trying to say something. And this, you know, the quote that she said was that God comes to you disguised as your life. And when I, when I heard that a few years ago, it was like sand that got under my fingernail. And I just have been on and off ruminating on this idea that God comes to us disguised as our life. That when we want to think about growing into maturity, following Jesus, being obedient, we actually don't need to go searching for those opportunities. They're happening to us all the time in our lives. Our life is the point. Our life is the way that God comes to us. He's not coming to us in any other way but through what is real around us and through us and in us. This is how God works. It's not the imaginary you that God loves. It's not the imaginary perfect you that God wants to be with. It's the real you, the stubborn, disobedient, resistant, unloving you. That's the you that God loves and that's the you that God works with. Like he, he's calling that real, ordinary very flawed human being into maturity and perfection in him. That's his work in us and he just does it through our life. And I have come to realize that everything in life and especially everything in the spiritual life, it's always invitation and participation. It is never coercion. It is never flat out legalism. It is never just like obey this rule and do this thing and you'll be right. It is always an invitation from God to participate in your own life and in his own life through you. It's always invitation. If you read through the Gospels again and again, you will often only ever hear Jesus invite. Never coerce, never demand, but just invite when he encounters the disciples and he's often saying, come and see, come and follow. Do you want to know? Like it's always invitation. And God is always inviting us through our own lives to participate with him in his work in us and in his work in the world. And this is how he comes to us, disguised as our life. I think like, Another way of saying that, you know, God comes to us disguised as our life is sort of saying, it's like saying this, your life is always happening. (laughs) It's just always happening. It's always evolving and unfolding. And God will always work with the content of your life. There is nothing in your life that is beyond God's usefulness to craft you into maturity and to cause you to be loved. Like he will just use everything that's happening in you and through you and around you, your reality, all the threads of goodness and disappointment and frustration and pain and yes and no and all of that stuff. He'll just pull all of those threads together and weave it into something beautiful. That's what God will do. He's not making an imaginary life out of your perfection. He's making a beautiful life out of your realness. If only we would participate with him and hear his invitation to do that, to be invited into the crafting of a of a of a, of a life of beauty by the King of Beauty Himself. And I think one of the most classic um, examples of this that we see in Scripture, and there's you know there's lots of good stories in Scripture of people who've attempted and failed to follow God, which is what I love about Scripture because it's not a highlight reel; it's a real real and it's messy and horrible um, which makes a lot of room for my life but one of the I think the clearest well one of the clearest ways for me where I think we see this idea of God coming to us disguised as our life is in um, the story of the life of Joseph which we have you know spanning a huge or a decent chunk of scripture from Genesis 37 right through to Genesis 50. We have this story of Joseph. It's not a short story. It's a long story. You're familiar with it. We're not going to read it tonight. It's way too long to read. Um, I'm sure you've heard it. If you don't know it all about Joseph, it's worth a read. Um, So Joseph, this is the short version. He's the youngest son of many brothers and he's the favoured son because he was predominantly born to the – this is where it gets messy, right – He was born to the favourite wife, the most beautiful wife, not the ugly wife or the two concubines. So you want to talk about imperfection, let's just deal with that scenario. So anyway, Joseph's, you know, the youngest born of the favourite wife and Jacob loves him the best. And he, you know, in great parental awesomeness, makes that known. Um, Hot tip. Don't make that known if you have a favourite. You're supposed to not let anybody know. Freya, you're not the... No. (laughs) Um, So Joseph knows he's the favourite. The brothers all resent it. Jacob gives Joseph a multicoloured coat. You know, everyone else probably just wears brown and he gets, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, how many multicolours did they have back then? Beige, slightly less beige than beige, brown. Like, I don't, you know, like... Anyway, it's not Technicolor. Um, brothers, you know, get, have enough of – Oh no, and Joseph has, you know, the dreams he has. Oh, you're all going to bow down to me? Like, and then instead of just keeping that to himself and treasuring it in his heart, he tells them all. <laughs> Again, not the greatest idea. So his brothers get jealous. They see an opportunity. They sell him into slavery. So Joseph, in his life, finds himself going from most favoured beloved son to slave in a foreign country – He gets sold to a reasonably okay dude, prospers because he's smart and good and integrous and does well for a while until, you know, Potiphar's wife decides that she thinks he's a bit sexy and would like a piece of him. And, of course, he's all too integrous to engage in so, such rowdy behaviour. So he flees and she grabs hold of him and there's a scandal and Joseph ends up in jail. So he's now, you know, not only a slave in a foreign country, he slightly rose a bit, now he's in the bottom and he's in jail. And, you know, you know the story, there's a cupbearer also in jail and there's a baker also in jail. I mean, I don't, what kind of jail was this? It was a well-fed, well-wined jail. Um and, you know, they have some dreams and God helps Joseph interpret them and he thinks this is great. They both get out of jail, the cupbearer and the baker, and what Joseph says about their dreams comes true. But then they forget about Joseph for two years and he just rots in jail. I mean, when you think about the timeline of your story, would you like to be rotting in jail for any years, let alone two? And then Pharaoh has his dreams and then they, bing, 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 remember Joseph. Oh, this is this dude in jail. He, he can interpret dreams. And so... Pharaoh, you know, Joseph gives Pharaoh the interpretation. Joseph comes out of jails. We made second important in the land. You know, like it's like up, down, up, down, up, down. And then, of course, there's a huge famine, which is part of Joseph's... Anyway. And his brothers, all the brothers in the family, come down to Egypt because it's the only place that has grain because of Joseph's wisdom. And then he does that sort of weird subterfuge where you realise, mate, you've had lots of years and you haven't dealt with your issues. Um, where he's like, you know, playing them off against one another and he's weeping one minute and then he's tricksy the next. And anyway, it all ends up, you know, happy happiness and reconciliation and everyone ends up in Egypt, which didn't bode well for them later, but that's another story. But we get to the end of this whole story of Joseph which has gone on for a really long saga and there's this verse in, in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 where Joseph is speaking to his brothers at the end of this in reconciliation and he says this, you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done now, the saving of many lives. And Looking at that verse in multiple translations really helps sort of get the thread of what you know, this, is, this is meaning. And I'm just going to read it out in several different translations. Whereas you yourselves thought up something bad for me, God thought it up for good. Now you planned something, you planned ill against me, but God planned it over for good. I love that. God, you planned ill and God planned it over for good. You planned something bad for me, but God produced something good for it. You tried to harm me, but God made it turn out for the best. You meant to hurt me, but God turned evil into good. And I think this is just one of those classic stories where the reality of God comes to us disguised as our life. We get to see it. God comes to Joseph disguised as his ordinary, horrible, messy life. From ups, from downs, from positives, from negatives, from slavery to favour, God is always coming to Joseph, developing him, working with him, moving through him, moving in him, making things happen. And I think this is where we see this idea of, I've come to kind of understand this as sort of like two different registers where we live in one register. Like, I don't know, who's, mu- who's musical people here. We live in the bass clef, you know, um, yeah. And then God works in the treble clef and they work together and by themselves they often sound okay, but they're working in conjunction together to, to make something good. But we usually only live in or see from the perspective that we have and we can often forget that God is working through our lives, always working through our lives, to bring something out for good. Life happens and God plans it over for his purposes. God works with what is to make something good. Um, however your life is unfolding, happening around you. God will work through everything to bring forth something beautiful. Like we see this when, you know, we have the blind man and the people come to Jesus and say, Jesus, who sinned? The blind man or his parents that he's born blind? It's kind of like there's there's a reason why this has happened. And they're trying to wanting to make sense of pain and mess and brokenness and things that go wrong and they're trying to figure it out like humans have been trying to figure this out from from adam and jesus says neither this this is just life sometimes people are born blind like he didn't actually say that i'm paraphrasing sometimes people are just born blind but i will demonstrate my glory or my beauty in this even in this and that's that's the truth that we have to hold on to as followers of Jesus that life is just life. But God will come to us and transform all of life into something beautiful with and without our participation. He prefers our participation. And often that goes more smoothly <laughs> for us. But He will still work something beautiful. I, another example of this is oh, this is hilarious. It's not hilarious. I think it's hilarious. Someone I once heard people who work with their brains or minds have to relax with their hands. What's a hot tip? I was like, "Oh, okay. I mo- work mostly in, in my head, so I need to find some things to relax in my hands." So I I have not I haven't taken up tapestry. That would sound really bad. But I did start a tapestry. I'm going to show you this is like Does anyone do tapestry because you'll be horrified. This if the Proper people who do tapestry, the back looks really good. This is this is not the front, everyone, okay? This is the back. <laughs> this is the back of my tapestry. And I feel like this is often what life feels like. A whole bunch of mess, a whole bunch of threads that make no sense, thrown together, this weird sticky tape because just don't know what to do with end bits that fluff over the wrong way. And it's, a, and it's a mess. Like that is the register that we tend to live life in, feeling the mess, feeling the ordinariness, feeling the chaos. Like life's coming to us and some of it's nice and some of it's weird. But the whole time this is what God is making. Well, it's, you know, this is what God's making with our life. I haven't finished it yet. It's really boring doing the black bit and it's really hard to see sometimes. And I, I started this two years ago. <laughs> But I, I've decided that I'm getting really good value for my money because <laughs> <laughs> it's taking me so long. Anyway, that's like, that's what God's making with this. But so often we only ever see this and we wonder why the heck is there a weird white bit in the middle? Where has that come from? How come there's a loose end? Why is there a weird sticky bit? This is what God sees. It's a different register. What You know, in the life of Joseph, you plan things for ill. God made it good. This is how God comes to us disguised as our life. This is our life and somehow God is here on the flip side, making something beautiful out of the ordinary things that we've got. Now I want to ask you a rhetorical question and this is sort of a bit of a, a rabbit hole I'm going to peer down but not go down because that's, you know, I don't know, we don't have time. But here is one of the things that I think I ask and have asked when I'm, you know, engaging with the story of Joseph. This is the question. Did God plan for all of that to happen to Joseph? Was it God's plan? That's Like, just think about that. You've heard probably plenty of sermons and have your own thinking and theology on this. We all do. Did God plan joseph's life did he plan for joseph to be sold into slavery did he plan for potiphar's wife to make a move did he plan for joseph to spend two years in jail did god did god orchestrate that this is this is the the thing i think is worth thinking about or did god use everything that happened to joseph To work his goodness and beauty and transformation into Joseph's life and into the world. Because this is what we, this is the kind of the, the rabbit hole you'll come to as you start to ask seriously the question, God, are you coming to me disguised as my life? Because if your life's anything like my life, there's a whole lot of stuff that I can't see God very clearly in. So you have to then ask the question, God, have you made this stuff happen? Because I've heard those sermons. I don't know about you. Oh, you know, I've heard those clichés. It's all for the glory of God. God meant for that to happen. He needed another angel in heaven. Oh, you know, this is happening to you so he can demonstrate. You've heard those things too? These are the questions we face when we start to think about this kind of thing. And really, this is the whole issue of is God in control? Is God in control? This is the rabbit hole. I, this is is my personal opinion, you can have your own. I don't now no longer believe God is in control of my life, of our lives, of the world. That's not a paradigm that my theology sits in anymore. God is not in control. I don't pray those prayers, God, I just thank you that you're in control. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's in control. I absolutely believe he's sovereign, but I don't think he's in control. If I think God is in control, I have to make sense of everything that's horrific and how that matches with the goodness of God. And I cannot do that. And humans have been wrestling with this forever. This this is the book of Job. This is the entire book of Job. If you want to read a really long, tedious, long book, Job, just to answer this question, you'll get to the end. There's no answer. Theologians theologians have been wrestling with this for so long. And there's all manner of, you know, roads to go down and and ways to answer this, but I would say that for many, many people, this is a major theological sticking point and causes many, many people to lose their faith because we have told people God is in control. And then when horror happens, you have to somehow bend that into God's plan and say God willed it. And I will not do that because God is love. But I will hold on to the sovereignty of God I just don't think God's up in heaven at the remote control center saying oh look here's Joseph his life's going well for him hmm ching ching slavery like I just think that life happened because humans are messy and envious and you know messed up and God comes through making beauty out of everything. I, I absolutely believe God is sovereign over everything. And I'm really, really happy to talk about this with you if you're like, I need to talk this through. I reckon this one particular issue I have really hashed out for three or four years, seriously reading. And I would say if you are stuck on this in your own life, if you're stuck on this in the world, don't process this idea alone you need good people and good theologians alongside of you to navigate this otherwise you'll end up in a weird place and there are lots of weird places to go but I have just come to a place where I acknowledge that God has given us entirely free you know free will he has given me free will he has given creatures free will he has given you free will and the mess and the interplay of all of that creates the chaos of the world. But through it all, he creates beauty. And he's always wooing the world towards goodness. And he's always inviting us to participate in his good plan for our life and the world. But it happens through the mess. It happens not because God makes the mess. It happens because the mess is already there and God will use everything to to do this. So I am learning very slowly and, you know, haltingly and haphazardly. I am learning to trust that God can and is working with everything in my life to bring it through to goodness and to beauty. Now, I know that when I say that, that I am talking here to you and anyone else who listens to this and if you have experienced significant trauma in your life, abuse of any kind, it is so incredibly hard to understand how God could make something like that good and this is what I want to say, that thing is never ever good God does not need to make you believe that that was okay. He will take everything and bring beauty out of even the most horrific places. That's the cross. But it doesn't make trauma and abuse okay. It just means that God will use everything that comes in our lives To bring forth beauty and goodness. And so I know that if you're in the thick of hard things, hearing that God comes to you disguised as your life and God will use everything to draw forth beauty feels like cold comfort. And if I had managed to time travel back to Joseph sitting in a prison cell for two years and said, hey, don't worry, Joseph, at the end you're going to say God worked it all out for good, he just probably would have punched me. And fair call, like in the thick of the mess, it's hard to grasp this stuff. That's why we cannot live in the tyranny of the immediate. That's why we need to remember the story of beginning to end, that there is horrible stuff in our lives sometimes and there is horrific stuff in the world but God can make all things good and actually I believe that the end of the story that the scriptures promise is that God is going to be all in all and that all will be well and all will be made new. So if you don't feel like That thing in your life is yet okay all made beautiful all well it's just not the end yet it's just not the end I absolutely believe that the end will be well I hold on to hope that the end will be well in my life and in your life and in our world I I just know that God God has This is the mystery of grace. God works in time, but the only place God has ever worked in fullness is in the life of Christ. Everything else is yet incomplete. You are yet incomplete, but the time will come when it's completion and all will be beautiful. And and I'm hoping and trusting in that. But I know it's, it's not an easy thing to process. It's not been an easy thing to process in some parts of my life. And yet in hindsight, I can often look back and say, I don't know if I'm glad that happened, <laughs> but God has made something good. So God comes to you disguised as your life. Jesus c- comes to you disguised as your life. The Holy Spirit comes to you disguised as your life. He will use everything available to him to help us grow into love, into being loved and learning how to love. Um, But sometimes it is disguised and you don't need my help. You don't need anyone's help to see or hear or sense God in the easy things. You can do that by yourself. Often we need help discovering God in the disguise in the places we can't see him working, in the places we can't sense him, that's where we need help. Because it's not like saying, oh, God comes to you obvious in your life. If that was the way, life would be easy. But he often comes disguised. I I was talking, I have a spiritual director that I see every month. She's... She helps me stay faithful to the path of growth. And I was speaking to her just the other week about this cycle that I feel like I'm stuck in in my life. I don't know, maybe this is just me. Has anyone ever been stuck in a cycle in their life where you feel like you're just going round and around and around? And I got to the point where I'm just, I'm just so frustrated with myself. I'm fr- I know it's me, like it's like I'm frustrated with myself and I'm just frustrated with this cycle and I just feel like I'm stuck in this cycle. And she said to me, she goes Carolyn, the cycle is there for a reason. What's the invitation from God? God comes to me disguised as my cycle. Like, thanks God. But that's That's the eyes to see the register. That's the eyes to not just be in the bass clef but to see the treble. That's the eyes to see like there's a bloody cycle on the back of the tapestry but somehow God's making a flower on the front. And like it's those sorts of things that we often need, you know, other people's help for us to see. So I want to ask you tonight, like how is God coming to you disguised? How might God be coming to you disguised? In disappointment or disguised in frustration, or disguised um, in confusion, or disguised in your marriage. In fact, if there is one space for discipleship to happen in the fire, it's marriage. If you want to go through the fire of learning how to self-giving love for somebody else and to be the beloved, it's bloody marriage. It's heart. Singleness is always a hard place to find God disguised. Pain. How does God come to us disguised in our pain? Not as our pain, like God's coming as pain, but somehow in our pain he comes disguised. I have had times of great pain in my life and I've had people say to me, Carolyn, God is waiting for you in the place of your deepest pain. And I've just thought, well, he'll be waiting a lot. Because I will go round and round before I will go back to but It's that. God will come to us and wait for us in deep places because he wants to make beauty out of ashes. And how do you do that? By waiting in the ashes until we're willing to go to the beauty. How does God come to us in our parenting, disguised in our parenting? I remember hearing this beautiful story that James Finlay told about a young mother who was trying to practice um, contemplative prayer. And she was really wanting to practice silence and contemplation. And so she would wake, she'd set, her up, she'd set her alarm really early and she'd wake up and she'd get up and she'd go downstairs and she'd sit inside, you know, to do her 20 minutes of contemplative prayer. And 90% of the time a kid would wake up because the kid heard her get up and then would come down and want her and she just felt so frustrated because she felt this call towards you know silence and the contemplative life but the kids kept getting in the way and she's telling this story to James Finlay who's a, who's a great guide and James says to her it's God waking up and coming to interrupt you because he wants to be held by you that's God coming to you disguised as your child you're not being interrupted by in your silence you're being encountered by god in the eyes of your child and she just this just transformed it for her and i mean i know that feeling of being interrupted by my children but like it's so like how is god actually coming to you through your children through your grandchildren through your friendships through your loneliness how might god be disguised in your life and just as we um just going to finish up and I just want you to think because I want us to to you know I I would like you to leave tonight having thought really thought about this for yourself and just just invited the Holy Spirit to maybe say something to you so that's the whole point not that you'd listen to me but you'd listen to the Holy Spirit and so I I just want to invite you to think of maybe one part of your life not a really dark part of your life put that on the shelf for something else but just just one part of your life right now where you you cannot sense god where you're not sure if you can see or hear or feel him in that circumstance or in that situation i just want you to consider if there's like god where where might you be hidden in my life right now so i'm just going to holy spirit i just i just ask that right now you would you would come And reveal to us what you want to reveal to us. Reveal Jesus to us. Reveal God to us disguised as our lives. Would you, Holy Spirit, just bring one place or situation to our minds where we might not see your working, your loving, your peace, your patience, your joy. just want you to hold on to that if you've thought of something that is just confusing to you or where God seems unknown or not present for you. I just want you to, to hold on to that for a moment. And if you if you couldn't really think of anything specific and that's a really great place to be in in some ways because It's a wonderful time when we can see and sense God in our lives. But if it was really hard for you to to think of anything specific, here's something that always annoys me. Someone said to me, God will often come to us disguised as the person we find most annoying. The person we find most irritating is often the way God comes to us teaching us how to love and be loved. So if you can think of anything specific in your life, maybe you just like to think of the most annoying person in your life and consider how God might even be coming to you through them disguised. And I just want to, I just want to ask you, like, can you trust that God is at work through every circumstance working for good and inviting you to participate in his goodness. Like, can your spirit hear the invitation of God to trust that in the mess, in the chaos, in the, in the random, in the absence that he is at work, planning over for good. That he can pull the threads together and make something beautiful of your life. Can you trust that? And you know what? It's okay to say no. It's okay to say right now, I I don't know if I can trust that. Because that's where we can trust on one another's behalf. But I'm just going to pray that God, would you give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the heart to discern how you might be coming to us disguised in our life that our hope would be in you that our trust would be in you that we would hold on to grace and mercy and know that you are always at work through all things working together for the good that whether we can see it or feel it we hold on to faith God trust in dark times and we will know that we are always held in your hand would you help us Holy Spirit to not just live in the tyranny of the immediate but to have the eyes to see what you are doing as you move in and through and around our lives for your beauty and your glory amen um, We're going to finish with communion and coming to the table. And the kids are going to come down. So um, it's going to get noisy and chaotic (laughs) and beautiful. (laughs) And I am grateful um, for the table of the Lord. And I'm grateful that we are always welcome to the table Because this is the Lord's table. It's not my table. It's not Central Church's table. It's the table of the Lord and it's always the table of invitation that we are welcome just as we are because the participation is that on God's behalf he laid down his life and he put himself as food and drink on the table. And our yes and our Um, participation in God's participation is coming to simply eat and drink. It's that you don't have to provide this. You didn't have to make this, except for Sophie who did make the bread. But you didn't have to make this happen. This is all mercy and all grace. You only have to receive. It's totally there for us. And this is one of the beautiful ways in which God is disguised in our lives he comes to us as bread the bread of presence the bread of goodness that he is actually indeed in this place in a mysterious mysterious way that this is part of what his body is and this is part of what his sacrifice of life is for us is that we get to participate, to eat, to consume, to take the life of Jesus inside of us entirely as mercy and grace. And so as we come to the table tonight and as it's chaos and noisy and the kids barge in and take their time to figure out which is the tallest juice, like who, you know they will i they they eye it off and they know that they won't take the one closest to them they'll take the most filled up glass which i love because isn't that the desperation we should have as we come to the table of the lord that we want it all we want it most we want the biggest glass we want to fill ourselves up with the beauty of god that is what it means to have childlike faith to trust in god to take all of what he has No politeness, you know, no, oh, like I'll just take my little bit. No, I'm going whole hog, taking the biggest glass because I need the most mercy in my life. So welcome, kids. We are going to break bread together and we are going to eat and drink and celebrate the life of Jesus, both present here in bread and wine and disguised to us as bread and wine and disguised as life that always comes to us, whether we can see it or not. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central.